0: Well, good, morning. good morning! Good to see you this Labor Day weekend. Uh, I hope the weekend's gone well for you. We've got a lot of things going on. Uh, did most of you, did you get my letter this week, the uh, ministry update later? Good. Uh, a lot of exciting things. We got a new high school pastor. We got a new college pastor. Joel's moving over to uh, life groups, and so yeah, it's a tremendous uh, answer to prayer. And excited about that. We got a new uh, essentials course going on. This new partnership class. All kinds of things. So if you didn't receive that um, out at our registration—not uh, registration, but our information booth. Out in the patio, it's called the Point. Uh, we have hard copies of there, so for whatever reason you didn't receive it, or if you uh, don't have email or whatever, uh, you can pick up one of those uh, right afterwards. Now, uh, for those of you who are brand new, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Peak. and we're in the midst of a teaching series right now. It's called "Revealed." You can see it on the walls. And uh, for those of you who are new, it's a brand new, uh, well, it's not a brand new series, it's been a couple months. But it's a series about the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers, a man by the name of Apostle John, and he, re- he wrote a gospel called John. We're actually in the second uh, mini-series, we just started last week, chapter 5 through 12, called Conflict and Crisis. So if you're here for the first time, that brings you up to speed, and also inside of your program is a white message note sheet that we use every week for our time of teaching. And so I encourage you to take that out and help you follow along. So I'm going I'm to pray, and we're going to jump in. Y'all ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at our church, uh, the way you're calling us out, calling us on, um, teaching what it looks like to be uh, part of a movement, unleashing a movement of, of uh, passionate Christ followers. And today, Lord, we come to such an important topic of, of what that looks like in a day-to-day, uh, day-to-day way in relationship to your word. And so we pray that you would uh, speak to us today. We pray you'd give us um, eyes to see, ears to hear, what you're saying to our church today, and that we would uh, give us the heart, you give us the heart to follow. We pray this in your name, amen. Well, our story starts today uh, where we left off last week. If you're here last week, we we're in John chapter 5. Uh, Jesus has traveled from the north of the country of Galilee, he's traveled south to the capital. He's shown up there in Jerusalem for one of these big feasts that they have throughout the year a seven day feast. We're not sure which one, but on a Saturday. He walks to this very famous site in town. It was a a pool that was famous for its healing properties. And there's a a man there who's been sick. He's been lame for 38 years. And Jesus heals him. Of course, it's an amazing miracle. But um, it it kicks off a conflict because he healed them on a Saturday, which was the Sabbath. And uh, the spiritual leaders of the nation, they had some very strict rules about what could be done and what couldn't be done on the Sabbath. And so this causes a major conflict, and instead of pouring water on the fire, Jesus kind of pours gasoline, leads it to the next level, because he says, well, let me explain why I, why I heal on the Sabbath. He said, my, my dad works weekends, and, uh, and I do too. And I'm just kind of partnering with him, and this is what we're doing together. So he's calling God his father in a very personal way, which to them is like making yourself equal to God. And so, um, so now they're really upset. And so today we're jumping in this conversation, and and he's going to take it to the next level. Not only is he going to claim to be equal with God, but he's going to claim to do things that only God can do. He's going to claim to be kind of taking over some of God's job description, if you will. So if you have your Bibles, let's uh, go to chapter 5 and verse 16. We're going to run through the end of the chapter. Then we're going to come back and talk about one big mistake that we don't want to make in our lives, kind of a critical mistake uh, that these spiritual leaders made that uh, sabotage them in their, their relationship with God. So here we go. Uh, chapter 5, and we'll, we'll go back to verse 16, a couple verses into where we started last week just to set the stage. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, uh, like healing people, uh, like uh, telling the man he'd healed, pick up your mat and walk, carry your, bear your burdens on the Sabbath, kind of violating the rules, um, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to him, they said, well, my father, you know, he's, he's always at work this very day. He works weekends. And I, and I too, am working. We're a team. And so for this, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him because now not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also making himself equal with God. And so, like I said last week, there are always people that say, well, Jesus didn't really claim to be God. Well, clearly he is claiming to be God. In fact, he's going to take it to the next level today and claim to do things only God Can do. And so he says, goes on, for Jesus gave them this answer I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. Like I didn't heal this guy on the Sabbath, wasn't my idea. Um, He can only do what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And the Father just loves the Son with this love relationship going. And he shows him everything he's doing. And yes, to your amazement, he'll show him even greater things than these. So this is where we left off last week. Jesus ends, says, I, I've healed this guy, but you, know, you haven't seen anything yet. It's going to get better. Now at this point, Jesus is going to talk about some of these amazing things that he's going to be doing in the future. And uh, basically, he's going to be claiming to do things that only God can do. And he's going to give three examples of this. Uh, like number one, in the Old Testament only God can give life. God is the source of all life. Uh, God gives life. He, he, he makes alive. He, he takes away life. He's the giver of life. He's the ultimate source. And so Jesus is going to claim to have life in himself just like his father has life, the source of life. Number two, uh, the second thing is in the Old Testament, uh, God is the judge of all the earth over and over again. Uh, the, the, At the end of our lives, we'll all stand before God, and we'll have to give an account for our lives, and so God is the judge of all the earth, and Jesus is going to claim, actually, he's delegated that to me now. So are you catching this? What he's doing is, like if you went to monster.com and looked at uh, God's job description, there's certain things that only God does. He gives life. He judges all people, and now Jesus is claiming, I'm doing the job description. The third thing Jesus is going to claim is that it's our relationship to him and how we respond to his father-son team, this Jesus-father team, that determines our eternal destiny. So three big claims he's going to make. So here we go. In verse 21, he says, For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So there's, there's job description number one. I'm, I'm the giver of life. I, I'm the source of life. Of course, we saw this back in John chapter 1 at the intro. Remember what what John said, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created by him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made, creator of the universe. In him was life. That life was the light of the world. And so we're seeing now John didn't just make that up. He's getting it from the teaching of Jesus. Now, next verse. Second thing he claims, moreover, verse 22, the Father judges no one. He's entrusted or delegated all judgment to the Son. So at the end of time, we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ, and he will be the judge of all the earth. And he's done this so that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. We would give equal honor to God, the Father, as we, and equal honor to the Son. And so, once again, claim for deity, because how can you honor someone the same as God except God? And uh, he who does not honor the son, this is what he says to the leaders, he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So he's sending kind of a warning shot over the bow right now because he's done this miracle. They're giving him a hard time. They're not buying in. He says, hey, you guys need to be careful. Time out here because if you don't honor me, you're not honoring the father who sent me. And so you need to be paying attention. And so then in verse 28, uh, 20, uh, 24, he's, here's his third claim. He says, I tell you the truth that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, the Father, in other words, you, you buy into this Father Son team we've got going on, um, that person has eternal life. Like, in other words, you don't have to wait to the end of your life to find out whether you're going to be a part of Jesus' plan for the next life. That, that you can receive that thing right here and right now, that, that if you buy into Jesus and you follow Jesus to give your life to Jesus, and because he's sent from the Father, you buy in this Father's son team, this whole message of Jesus, you ask him in your life, you ask him to forgive your, forgive your sins, you, to give you a new life and to follow him, that you actually can have eternal life here and now. Like you don't have to wait to the end of the game to find out whether you win or not. You can actually kind of get your get-out-of-jail-free card now. You know so he goes on and he says uh, that uh, he uh, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life right here and now, he will not be condemned. So at the end of time, uh, you won't be condemned, but he has crossed over from death to life, like right here, right now. And this is what happens whenever a man or woman decides to follow Jesus, they cross over that line. Right here and now, you move from spiritual death to spiritual life. The Bible talks about being born again. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes in your life. He begins to change you from the inside out. Jesus becomes your brother. God becomes your father. There's this whole new family relationship that happens, you see. And so, uh, so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ and you do believe in him, and you do want to follow him, and you do want to be forgiven, and you do want to know his plan for your life, then at the end of the service today, I'm going to give you that chance to make that decision, all right? So today can be your day to be born again. Now, he goes on. Um, Verse 25, I tell you the truth, the time is coming, and it's now come. So with the coming of Jesus, it's a new era. um, When the dead, talking about the spiritually dead, when the, when the spiritually dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, here come his two claims again, he's going to repeat them. Uh, for as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself, and verse 27, he was, and he's given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. So these two core claims, I give life, I judge, it's your relationship to me that determines your destiny. Okay, that's... That's the passage. Now, he goes on. He says, uh, spells this out a little bit more. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. And they'll come out, the whole human race. At the end of time, he will speak, and the resurrection of all people will happen and everyone at the sound of his voice, and they're going to come out now. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So those who follow Jesus, buy into Jesus, they're born again. Their lives are changed. They they become like him. They're they're doing a life that's right and good and true. Says so those people, they they're going to live forever. Uh, those people who reject Jesus, uh, don't follow him, embrace the darkness, live a life of evil, that they will not go to be you know with him. Will not will not move on. They'll be condemned. Now. Verse 30, he realizes he's making some huge claims here. And let me say this, uh, a little sidebar here. In, in our culture today, it's, uh, it's probably not just unique to our culture today, but throughout time there's been people that have said that Jesus is a great teacher. He's a great moral teacher. We don't really believe he's the son of God. We don't really believe he's, he's God, but we believe he's a great moral teacher. He's worth following. He's worth listening to. It's kind of like Gandhi, like Buddha, whatever. He's a great teacher. And, and uh, C.S. Lewis, the, you know, the great Christian uh, apologist, uh, Chronicles of Narnia fame, all that, Oxford, uh, Cambridge prof, um, he pointed out one time that when it comes to Jesus, that really that's not an option, this whole good teacher bit, because good teachers don't claim to raise the whole human race from the dead and then determine their final destiny, like, um, liars can do that. People that are religious leaders that are trying to manipulate people, like, they can do that. Um, lunatics can do that. Like, if you've ever been to a mental hospital, chances are you've met someone who believes they're Jesus Christ or they're an alien from outer space and they've been sent to earth and whatever. Uh, so liars can do it. Lunatics can do it. But, but, you, but really, that's not an option, you know, to, to be a good teacher only. Um, so, so Lewis said that when it comes to Jesus, every person has to decide who he is, and he's either a liar, he's, he knew what he was deceiving people, he just did it anyway, he was a lunatic, a crazy man, uh, or he is the Lord who he claims to be. There's only three options, logically, if you think it through. And so here's Jesus making these incredible claims, and we get so used to it in church, it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, no, are you kidding me? This guy's standing there with the religious leaders of Israel. He says, I know you all believe in a resurrection someday. I want to tell you, I'm the one that pulls it off. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I just speak and it happens. And, and it pretty much depends on your relationship with me, how it goes for you, just to let you know. Okay. So he realizes this is an amazing claim. And so in the Jewish mindset, There's always this this idea: of what would be what would be held up in a court of law. Like when you you make a claim in a a court of law, you have to have witnesses in the Old Testament, and so you can't just claim to like be God. You know, you have to have some witnesses, and so Jesus realizes this, and so he says in verse 31, "If I testify about myself, um, you know, note the language, testify—it's it's it's legal language. Um, My testimony is not valid; it wouldn't hold up in court if I'm the only one saying these things about myself, but." There's another who testifies in me. And so he's going he's gonna to put this little court case. It's like he's putting himself on the stand. He's making the claim. He's going to call some witnesses, all right, to the stand. He's going to call three witnesses to testify in his behalf. Witness number one is John the Baptist. Remember the, this famous prophet that had been sent from God. Most of the nation bought into him that he was a true prophet. And so he says in verse uh, 32, Therefore there's, a, there's another who testifies in my favor, And I know that his testimony about me is valid. It's legit. You have sent to John, John the Baptist. He's testified. Back in chapter 1, I don't know if you remember this, but the religious leaders in Jerusalem had sent a delegation to John the Baptist at the Jordan River saying, who are you? What are you doing? He says, it's not about me. It's about the one who comes after me. And he is the Lamb of God. And so John had given his testimony. He calls John to the witness stand now and says, remember, John testified about me. Second, uh, he says, uh, verse 34, not that I accept human testimony, like I don't need John's testimony, to know who I am, but, uh, but I mention it, that you may be saved. Now, John was a lamp that burned, and he gave light. Of course, he's dead by this time, he's been killed. And you, choose, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So he says, he was the, my first witness, flashlight on the path pointing the direction to who I was. Second witness, verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John. I've got even a better testimony. Uh, The second person I'd like to call the witness stand are my works, my miracles that I'm doing. Now, of course, throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen these signs. They're evidences of who Jesus is. In chapter two, we saw him turn water into wine. In chapter four, he heals the nobleman's son from 16 miles away. In chapter five, this very chapter, he's just healed the guy that very day, 38 years lame. And so Jesus says, the second witness I'd like to put on the stand are the miracles that I'm doing. Obviously, I'm from God. And so he says, uh, 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the very work that the Father has given me to finish. And what I'm doing testifies that the Father has sent me. Now, 37, the third witness he puts on the stand is his Father himself, God. He says, the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Now, honestly, we're not sure exactly what Jesus is referring to. Uh, the Father witnessed uh, to Jesus in many ways. The miracles He gave Him to do, He just mentioned. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures prophesying about the coming of Christ. The internal witness of the Holy Spirit that God would speak to people. Uh, at His baptism, remember, Jesus said, uh, I mean, the, the, the voice out of heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so God is witness to Jesus in a variety of ways. We're not sure which one he's referring to or maybe all the above. But he says, my third witness is my father. And here's the tragedy. Jesus makes these huge claims. He realizes they're over the top. I mean, this is a lot for them to take in. But he says, let me call my witnesses to this stand to make the case. But here's the amazing thing that these spiritual leaders were so far from God that they couldn't recognize God when he showed up. And in spite of all he'd done, in spite of the miracles, in spite of the teaching, in spite of John the Baptist, in spite of that, they still didn't get it. And, and I, want, I, I want to call your attention to I something there's a very powerful spiritual principle here. And that's this, is just because someone is a spiritual leader or just because they're highly religious doesn't mean they know God at all. And we've talked about this all through the Gospel of John. There's a difference between religion and relationship with God. And what we're going to see today is these, these religious leaders who are the leaders of the nation. They knew the Bible inside and out. They had committed their lives to studying the Bible, discussing the Bible, memorizing the Bible. They are the most religious people you're ever going to want to meet. And yet Jesus is about to say they don't know God, they don't love God, they know nothing about God. And so I want you to catch this, that that oftentimes in our culture, we'll look at people, well, that's real religious or spiritual. It it doesn't mean anything, right? That it's religion and relationship are two totally different things. And here's the sad thing. These people thought they knew God, but they actually didn't. And so what Jesus is gonna say is 37. He says, the Father who has sent me has testified concerning me, but you have never heard his voice, You've not seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. He says, I, he says look, I know you're spiritual leaders, but you don't know God. You've never seen him. You've never heard him. His, his word's not in your heart. I know you know the Bibles, but you don't know him. He says, and the evidence is because you're not recognizing who I am. Uh, verse 39, you diligently study the scriptures and catch this, this is true. I mean, these men were raised memorizing the Bible. They had much of the Old Testament memorized. They knew the Bible better than you or I together will ever know the Bible. So you diligently study because you think that by them, you'll possess eternal life. That just by knowing the Bible, that, that you're going to be able to know God. But he said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. They, they're talking about me, and you're not willing to You refuse to come to me that you might have life. So they'd read the Bible, but they wouldn't respond to what the Bible, and the end result was they were further from God than if they'd never read the Bible. We're going to talk about that. And so in uh, verse 41, he says, look, I don't don't accept praise from men. I'm not looking for your approval here, but I know you, and I know, catch this, that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Jesus is speaking to a group of high-level pastors here. Bishops, priests, leaders of the nation. He says, listen, uh, I know you guys think that you know God, but the fact is you don't know him and you don't love him, and that's a fact. Like, whoa. Talk about marching in the lion's den. Uh, I've come in my father's name, you know, doing these miracles and everything, and you, you don't accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, trying to make a name for himself, you'll accept it. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another? But you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. Oh, I wish we had time to develop this more today. It was originally a second point, and we just don't have time. But let me just say this: I want you to catch something. Jesus says one of the reasons these spiritual leaders were so blind is that they cared more about what their buddies thought of them than what God thought of them. And I catch this: whatever we care more about what people think of us than what God thinks. Our spiritual discernment goes down. Are you with me this? Like when you can, when you want the approval of your kids, you want the approval of your coworkers, you want the approval of your spouse, you want the whoever it is in your life, your parents. The more that you're driven by approval from them, the less ability it's going to be here from God in your life. You see that? That we, and the, the reason Jesus was able to hear so clearly from his father was that that's the only one he cared to hear from. He was so driven to please him. And so in verse, uh, back, back in verse 30, if you look at through that lens, he says, uh, my judgment is just because I, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. That's, that's why I, I, I'm, I'm uh, on this thing. That's why I, I, you can trust my testimony. Anyway, verse 45. Jesus says, but do not think that I'll accuse you before the Father. In other words, at the end of time, I'm not going to be the guy there bringing the indictment. Your accuser is Moses, you know, your hero, the one in whom your your hopes are. They're all like, we're not into this guy. We don't know who this guy is. We're followers of Moses. And Jesus says, well, guess what? Uh, I'm not going to be the one accusing you. It's going to be Moses. It's going to be accusing you. Um, Because uh, if you believed in Moses, you'd believe in me. Because he wrote about me. Uh, but since you don't believe what he wrote, then how are you ever going to believe what I say? So your claim to fame is that hey, we're followers of Moses. Hey, he wrote about me, and he he knew I was coming. And if you were really in touch with God, you'd see that, and you'd you'd follow what he wrote. But you're not even listening to him. How can you listen to me? Okay. So that's the passage. Now let's step back. Let's pan uh, the cameras. Pan back. Do the big picture of the passage, and then we'll jump in and talk about the principle. So John chapter five. Jesus travels into town. Heals a man on his Sabbath, sets off this big conflict with the religious leaders, claims to be God, claims to do things only God can do, realizes that's a huge claim, so he calls his witnesses to the stand, John the Baptist, his works, and his father. But he realizes these guys, their indictment is they don't know God. They know all about God. They know the Bible. They don't know God. They don't love God. And he said, the reason is, is because you, you read his word, but you don't respond to his word. And you care more about what other people think of you than what God thinks of you. Okay? So that's the flow. Now, in the time that we have today, I want to focus on one huge mistake. They made a couple mistakes. One was that, that one where they you know, cared more about what people thought than what God thought. But the other one is the one I want us to focus on. And it has to do with the way they read the word the way that they're approached to the Bible. And this is so critical for us because if you stop and think about it, we've got a lot in common with these people. You know, it's like these, these people, I mean, their churchgoers, we're churchgoers. They read the Word, we read the Word. They love the Word, we love the Word. And yet they were so lost. And so we want to learn from their mistake, like how we don't end up like they did. All right? So there in your note sheet, there's a section called The Big Mistake. And uh, we just have one principle. I want to give it to you and then kind of tell you what their mistake was and then flesh it out. So here we go. The big mistake is reading the word without responding. This is a mistake they made, that reading the word without responding. Now, I want to put neon, neon lights around this and catch this. Are you with me on this? Are you catching what Jesus says? It's possible to read the Bible but not know God. Are we clear on that? It's possible to love the Word but not love God. They loved the Word, didn't they? But they didn't love God. It's possible to know the Word, not know God, not love God. It's possible to read the Bible, know it like the back of your hands, but have it not lead you to life. That's possible. And I think it's a huge danger for us. This is a huge danger for us that we think we know God when all we know is the word. You see? And to assume that the two are the same. So let's see what happens here. I want you to let's, let's start this by looking at what Jesus said again. I want to start with kind of build this house on his foundation. So here he says in verse 39, you study the scriptures because you think that you, by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, and you refuse to come to me that you have life. So you catch this. They're reading the word, but they're not responding to the word. It's pointing them a direction. They're not responding. Now, this is something that's easy for us to fall into this trap. Um, I, take your, uh, take, I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me to the, the end of the New Testament, to the right, right in your Bibles, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, so if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Very famous verse. Uh, We're going to look at the famous verse, and then we're going to look at the not-so-famous verse right before it that is the one that I really want to go after today. So 1 1 Timothy chapter 3, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at uh, 3 verse 16. my hunch is that a lot of us here, won't have a show of hands, have memorized this verse. We're like the religious leaders. We've memorized these verses. And uh, we love this verse. It's a, it's a favorite verse of ours, just like they had favorite verses. And so here we go, verse three, chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture, uh, the Bible, is God-breathed. It's a supernatural book. God's breathed it. And it's useful in our lives for four things. For teaching, and teaching us uh, this way to live. For rebuking us getting us when we're off track, for correcting us, kind of getting us back on track, and for training in righteousness. Here's the right way to live. And he says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, so God's word is one of the greatest gifts he's ever given us, Right? That that his word is like the North Star in our life. It's a compass. It's telling us this is the way to do life. Here's how to get the most out of life. It's one of the greatest gifts, and that's why we love it here. And that's why we study it because we love his word. Um, but I want you to look back at three fifteen. Let's look at the verse before this. He says something very profound. He's talking to Timothy, this young pastor who's grown up with a Jewish mom and a Jewish grandmother. His father was not a believer, but his his mom and grandmother were believers, and so they brought him up going to Sabbath school, learning the scriptures. And so he says, verse 15, Paul says, Timothy, from infancy, from the time you were young, you have known the holy scriptures, which are what? Okay, say it again. The holy scriptures, which are what? Abel. Abel. Now, underline that word or circle it. The Holy Scriptures are able. They're able to do something. What are they able to do? They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. The Scriptures are able to lead you to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Catch this. They are able to lead us to Jesus. They are able to lead us to life, but it's not automatic. There's a difference between something being able, having the capacity, and being automatic. The spiritual leaders of Jesus' day, they assumed it was more automatic. You read the Word, you memorize the Word, you learn the Word, you love the Word, and it will lead you to eternal life automatically. But this is not true. You see, it didn't, it didn't happen for them. Why? Because they didn't respond. They read the word, but they didn't respond. Jesus said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but these are the scriptures that point to me, and you're not willing to come to me. So you're, ready to, you're willing to read it, but not respond to it. You see, what the Bible is for us as, as Christ followers, what the scriptures are, they're like a road map. The scriptures are a road map that leads us to life. But, of course, the value in a map is only if we follow it, isn't it? Like, for example, you could have a great map, and you love your map, and so you get a leather-bound map. You get your name in front of it, gold on the bottom. I love this map. You carry your map with you everywhere. You put your map on the coffee table because you just love that map. And you blow up part of it, and you put parts of the map on the wall because you're into the map. Hey, but a map's only as good as if you follow it, right? That's the whole point of a map. Um, a couple of weeks ago, JD and I, the worship pastor, and a good friend of his from Las Vegas, and Chris, the three of us uh, went on a, a little motorcycle trip. We went up to San Francisco and Yosemite and uh, Sequoia for like three days, three and a half days. And as uh, so we took off after church on Sunday, went the long way, you know, out through Ohio, the middle of nowhere, and. And we went up to, stopped at Cambria the first night, then the second day we got up and we went up the coast, you know, the one all the way up, Big Sur and all that, it was beautiful. I'll go up to San Francisco, go over the Golden Gate Bridge together, That's really fun, you know, rush hour, not so fun, but, but. Uh, and then I took the wrong turn, or actually I took the right turn, they took the, the wrong turn, but anyway, uh, so we get separated and then they try to turn around on the Golden Gate Bridge, which didn't work so well, and it was just, you know, just a great, great trip. And, and so we stay in San Francisco, we go for Chinese food. We go over to Ghirardelli Square, get the chocolate. the chocolate. I mean, it's just a great trip. We get up the next morning, and so today we're going to go all the way to Yosemite, drive through Yosemite, out, go up to Sequoia, and hang out with Dave Cox at the cabin up in Se- Sequoia for one night. And so, uh, you know, J.D., of course, he'd, uh, he'd check the map, and, and he knew where we were going, and I, I looked at map. In fact, I, I had some maps. Uh, in fact, I had a really nice case for my maps, uh, I got the auto club, got that little blue case that they give you. Got them real handy there on the top of my, my pack, you know, on top of my bike. And they're ready to go. And so we, we head out. You know, we, we know the way. We're going to go out 90, Oakland Bay Bridge. That would be really cool to go over that. Then we hit the 580. We're going to go south. And then somewhere in there, we're going to hit the 120. that goes all the way to Yosemite. I can't wait because I've never taken the 120 in Yosemite. I've gone the southern route but not the, the 120. I've never seen this. I'm really excited about that. And so we go to the 90, hit the 580, and we're on the 580, and we're still on the 580. <laughs> and pretty soon I see a sign 140, Yosemite. I'm like, well, 140, it's kinda like 120. I mean, <laughs> I'm leading the way. So I decided to pull off, pull out the maps. I got my maps right there, you know, top of my luggage. It's awesome, great case. You know, we, we had the maps, but we didn't really follow the maps. We'd, we'd missed about 100 miles back or something, you know. It's, so we went a different way to Yosemite. Still got to a little bit maybe later, whatever. But, you know, many times this is how we treat the Word. You know, it's like we love the Word. We, we go to church. We, we, we study the Word. We, we read the Word, and yet it's not loving the Word. It's following the Word. Right? That, that's the whole, whole point. Um, and so what does, this, what does this mean? It means for our lives. Uh, it means there's going to be times when God speaks to you through his word. Um, here's what I want you to catch. It's possible for us to come in this place every week. It's possible for us to come in and to listen to messages every week and to go out and high-five our friends on the way out. Wasn't that awesome? That was so powerful. Yeah, I'm buying three CDs. I'm going to the resource center. I'm going to pass them out. And, and then we go home, and we do our life group homework. And then we go to our life group, and we, we share what we're learning, and all oh, that's so good. And then we go to BSF, or CBS, or FBI, or whatever it is. And, and we, we do some more Bible study. And and, then, and we're reading the Bible on our own. We're getting up in the morning sometimes. We're reading the Bible on our own. And we just got Bible, Bible, Bible. And if you were to ask us, do you love, do you know God? Oh, I know God. Do you love, do you love God? Oh, I love God. How do you know? I love his word. I read his word. I'm in his word. And guess what is exactly what they were doing? They didn't know God at all. In fact, it's possible to deceive ourselves in this, isn't it? To think we know God like they thought they, but not really know God. In fact, in your Bibles, I mean on your note sheet there, I put a verse uh, from James. James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, a, God, uh, wrote a, a letter in the New Testament, book of James. And here's what he says. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so what? Let's read it again. And so deceive yourselves. To catch this, it is possible to read the Bible and deceive ourselves. Well, how does that happen? It happens when we read it, but we don't respond to it like they did. So he says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what he says is like a man, of course a man, who um, looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This sounds like a man. See what I'm talking about? (laughs) Um, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, uh, look what he calls the Bible. He calls it the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. freedom. So God's given this incredible map. Hey, it's leading you on due north. We're going to get you to Yosemite. I've got this plan for your life. It's going to be awesome. We've got this amazing map that leads to freedom. But the key is we have to follow the map. And he said, if we don't, if we just read it, and then we don't follow it, we're deceiving ourselves. And so he says, uh, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, that man will be blessed in whatever he does. You know, this summer um, we taught a course. Uh, I taught a course here called Pursuing God One On One. It was our first essential. It was all about how to spend time with God and connect with God in a one-on-one way to draw close with Him. And we had a great time in that course. And one of the books we used was a, a, a book as a text was by uh, Rick Warren, you know, Purpose Driven Life guy. And it was on Bible Study Methods, great book. It was published like 20 years ago, but they changed the title now that he's famous. So it's now called Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods. <laughs> it used to be called Dynamic Bible Study Methods. It's no longer dynamic, but it is by Rick. So, um, no, i was just kidding. Anyway, uh, look what he says here. This is, this is powerful. He says, Bible study without application. Notice, reading the word without listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying to us, that's the idea can be dangerous because knowledge increases responsibility. If you get serious about studying the Bible, you'll be held more accountable than the average person because with added knowledge comes added responsibility. James wrote, anyone who does the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since, it's James 4.17. With a deeper knowledge of the scriptures comes a stronger judgment if you fail to apply them. When you start studying the Bible, God begins showing you areas of your life that needed changing. He calls you to a greater responsibility. Now, I'm sure this had been happening in these spiritual leaders' lives their whole lives that Jesus is dealing with. Uh, Jesus points out to them, hey, you care more about what your buddies think than what God thinks. That's your problem. Do you think this is the first time God had brought this to their attention? You know, do you care more about your image than your character? Do you think it's the first time? No, over the course of their lives, I'm sure as they read the Bible, they're reading the stories of David and Samuel and Moses. The lessons are there, but they didn't, they didn't apply them. They didn't respond to what God was saying. And so now they come to a place where they can't hear from God anymore. And they think they're close to God, and they really aren't. And so he says, if you're, if you're uh, not planning on applying the lessons you received from your Bible study, it would be better for you not to study the Bible at all. You'll just be heaping more judgment on yourself. Now, see, this is exactly the opposite we think. We often think, well, at least I'm going to church. I'm not obeying what God's telling me to do, but at least I'm going to church. At least I'm reading the Bible. At least I'm in a life group. No, it's the opposite. To hear from God and to reject what he's telling you makes you farther away from God, not closer. This is the opposite of what we often think. We think, well, at least I'm not obeying, but at least I'm still like, getting some good content. No. No, if, if, if God is speaking and you're not following, you're moving further away. You'd be better off not to even know what He's saying than to hear it. Now, Jesus talks about this. We talk here a couple times a year at least. I like to talk about this thing called the dimmer switch principle. Some of you remember that. But I want you to look and see what Jesus said about this. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been teaching all day. And his, uh, afterwards, he has a private session with his men. He says, Man, I, I've been delivering you a lot of spiritual truth today. It's really important how you respond to this truth. Um, I, I'm dishing out, I'm kind of, kind of serving up a lot of spiritual truth. Now, you need to be really careful what you do now, how you respond to this. And so in chapter uh, 4, he says, verse 24. He says, consider carefully what you hear. Like, pay attention. He says, with the measure you use, he's using a measuring cup analogy here. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God responds to us as we respond to him. Jesus is measuring out just a ton of insight, spiritual insight. Now he's watching to see how they respond. What do they measure back? Do they give him like a teaspoon of obedience back? You know, do they give him like uh, just a pinch of obedience back? He's measured out this huge amount of spiritual truth. Do they measure back a huge amount of obedience? And what he's saying is the measure that you use when you listen to God is the measure he will use and respond back. He's going to respond back to you the way you respond to him. If he's giving you insight and you're responding, he'll give you more insight, but he's going to go on to say, but if he speaks to you and you reject that insight, that you're, the, the spigot on insight's going to get turned off. Look what he says. Whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. You see that what's going on here is Jesus is saying, I'm delivering huge spiritual truth to you. As you respond, I will give you more truth. But if you choose to ignore what I'm saying, you don't want to hear the truth, then guess what? You will lose it. And if you do it long enough, you become like one of these spiritual leaders. They think they know God, but they don't. They're in the worst possible place. They think they know God. They think they love God. And Jesus says, you don't at all. You're you're totally self-deceived. So I like to call this the dimmer switch principle. And you know how this works? You have like, a, a, you know, like one of those lamps or halogen lamps or something in your house. You can turn the light up. You can turn the light down. You can control it. So here's what happens. When the Holy Spirit comes to you through his word and he speaks in a certain way, you, like you're in a service like this, and God's speaking to you, and you know he's, he's talking to you about something. You're in your life group. You're reading the word on your own. You're in BSF, CBS, whatever. You're in Celebrate Recovery. And God's speaking. This is your next step for you he watches very carefully how we respond. And if we respond with obedience, he says, great, I gave you a little bit of light, I'm turning the light up a little bit more. And the light, your life gets a little clearer and you see, oh, I see now what I need to do next. And you see another area of your life, like, oh, that's kind of dark, I need to change that. Um, and, and so then we respond over there and he goes, good job, turn up a little bit more light. And what happens is we go from light to light, from glory to glory, we, we, he, we increasingly walk with Jesus move into the path of freedom. Our lives change. We experience the life he wants. That's what happens. But on the other hand, God says, okay, here's a little bit of light. We go, ooh, that light's blind in my eyes. I don't want to hear that. Ooh, that attitude towards my wife. I don't want to deal with that. Or that sin, that whatever. Ooh, I need to make that change, that priority. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Ooh, let me turn away from that light. What happens is we just lost the light that we have because we've turned to the darkness because we don't want to see what the light's exposing. Are you with me in this? Now this, can I tell you something, this is one of the most important spiritual principles I could ever pass on to you. Respond to the light that you're given, you'll receive more light. Ignore the light that you're given, you'll lose the light that you have. Because as you turn away, the lights go out. And that's what had happened to these guys. So what this means is that we need to develop a heart of humility when it comes to the word and and to listening to the voice of the Spirit. You know Dallas Willard is a great uh, uh, philosophy prof, strong believer, uh, USC. Uh, and they won yesterday, so it's a good day. Um, anyway, uh, I'm sure it's because Dallas is there. Anyway, um, let's look what he says here. He talks about how to read the Word. And he says, we will be spiritually safe, catch that, safe. In other words, there's a danger in reading the Bible. But we'll be spiritually safe in our use of the Bible If we follow a simple rule, read with a submissive attitude. Read with a readiness to surrender. You know, last week we talked about surrender. Read with a a readiness to surrender all you are, all your plans, your opinions, your possessions, your positions. Study as intelligently as possible with all available means, but never study merely to find the truth and especially not to prove something subordinate your desire to find the truth to your desire to do it and to act it out. Those who wish to hear the word and know the truth are often not prompted by their desire to do it. The light that such people find frequently proves to be their own snare and their condemnation. And so these spiritual leaders, as Jesus comes, the light of the world, and he's giving them more light, it's leading to snare and condemnation. Because they've rejected the light for so long, they they can't even take it in at this point. You see? And so when God speaks, we need to be listening. So what's this mean? I think it means that when we come to church on a weekend, when, when you walk in here at the start of a service during worship, you need to be praying and saying, God, I want to hear from you today. I want you to speak today. Would you speak to me today? When you, go to your, you do your life group homework, you go to your life group, God, what do you want to show me today? I'm, I want to hear from you. You go to CBS, BSF, Celebrate Recovery, whatever. You're reading the Bible on your own. Our attitude should always be, speak, Lord. I want to hear from you. And then when he speaks, oh, man, we need to take that as a precious thing. When the God of the universe speaks to you, it's serious business. And he's he's chosen to speak on that issue because it's the next step for you. And so when God speaks, we need to embrace that word. We need to hold on to that word. We need to love that word. We need to follow that word. We need to devour that word. We need to put our arms around and take it in. We need to write it down. And we need to journal it. We need to say, this is, I don't want to forget this. We need to pull it into ourselves. You see? And as we do, it leads to the path of freedom. And we're transformed. And we're changed. And you know, the beautiful thing is that we are learning this as a church. And we're getting this. It was so cool. Last week, you know, I did that message on uh, uh, what's your top passion in life. And I asked what's in your box. I, I cannot tell you how many people have contacted me this week and say, can I share with you what God told me about the box? You know, it's just awesome. Just all week long, conversations, emails, or whatever, said, let me tell you what God spoke to me. And That's what I love. We're to be a supernatural church, right? When we meet together, we expect God to speak. We expect him to speak. And so one lady talked to me about uh, a relationship she'd been in for years, a sexually immoral relationship, and God spoke and said, you need to leave that behind. That's your box. You leave it behind. Um, There was a man who spoke to me about significance issues in his life. He's really struggling over significance issues, and God spoke to him and said, that's what needs to go in your box. You need to look at your significance from me, not from your career. And this is what needs to go in your box. And a couple moms, different moms, talked to me about their relationship with their their children and how God said, this needs to go in the box. This is what's holding you back. I had a couple of people talk to me about the, how God spoke to them during the message just clearly that, that there was a ministry that they were to start pursuing, that they were to start to get involved in again. That was what God wanted from that was in their box. You see, we just go on and on. All week long I was hearing what, and, and see, that's what, ex, what excites me, me. My passion, it excites me is because we're catching on to this. See, God is calling us to this great dance. He's calling to be part of this amazing relationship. It's like the ebb and the flow of the ocean. Where he speaks and we respond and he speaks and we are changed and we obey and we're transformed. And it's just this ebb and flow. We come together to hear from God. This is the times of encounter. We hear. We obey. We're changed. We listen. More lights given. More responses given. And this ebb and flow goes back and forth. It's like this great cosmic dance. He leads, we follow, and we're changed. He leads, we follow, we're changed. You see? It's not that hard. So here's what you need to do. Is that often we can get so overwhelmed? You know, I, I remember as a young believer in my life that when I was a young believer, I would often get overwhelmed. I'm sure some of you feel this way. You come to a message like this on the weekend, and there's all these things that are laid out there, what we're to do, what we're to be, and you, you get done, it's like, okay, I got 18 things to work on this week, right? And then you go to some other kind of, you know, you go to uh, BSF, or C- and now you've got 14 more things, and you go to your life group, got 32 things, and you go to CR, you got 122 things. And so, so, so now, uh, you, you're like this Christians, like carrying all these things around, where to do and where to be, and it can get overwhelming, And that's not how we're to do it. Here's what we need to do. When you come in this place, when you read your Bible, when you go to these Bible studies, we need to simply be saying, Lord, would you speak to me about my next step? And what will happen is that not every time, it won't be every time, but there will be times when God just, he speaks. And you know how he speaks. It's like the word comes alive or you feel like the message is just for you or you know what this feels like. And, And you sense God showing you something. That's what you need to pay attention to. You have to pay attention to every, A lot of the stuff you just take in, you just put in your memory bank. This is a good lesson for another day. This is the thing. But what we need to do is just learn to respond to what he's telling me today about here's what's for you today. He's gonna always keep it simple, trust me. He's a master at this. He's just gonna talk to you about what that one issue is or what the next step is or what this one insight is. And as you simply keep it simple and follow that, your life will change. It'll be transformed. We will become like Jesus And this is the lesson, this is the big mistake that they did, is they read the Bible, they knew the Bible like the back of their hands, but they never learned to respond. And so as a result, they knew the Bible and they loved the Bible, but they did not know God and they didn't love God and they were lost. You see? So as a church, we want to learn this. That we come together, we're not going through the motions here. We are not coming together as a church just to have another Bible study or just another message. We're not going to our growth groups just to kick some things around. We're going to hear from God. And as He speaks, we respond, and life will be changed, and we will be walking on what James calls that path of freedom. Let's pray. Where our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to give you some time to reflect on this. I'm sure for some of us here, there will be something that, that God's speaking to you about. There may be an area that you've been slow to obey and kind of assuming that well, God will always be there to keep saying this, and you can have all the time in the world. And today you're realizing that it may not be true that as you ignore it, there may come a time when you, you lose even that insight that you have. And so there's something that you need to deal with here today, and if so, just in the quietness of this moment, um, I ask you to uh, just take some, some time and talk to the, to the Lord about that. But for some of us here today is that um, you've never given your life to Jesus, and today it's getting really clear that you need to do that, that he alone is the source of life, and that one day you'll stand before him at the end of your life, and that the only way not to be condemned there is to come into relationship with him here to give him your life to ask him to forgive you to send the spirit into your life to change you and you want it you're all in you you're hungry god's all over you today you just you're hungry you want to know him and love him and follow him you want to be forgiven and if that's you today then i'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now it's just your your prayer that jesus would come into your life and take it over and forgive you and cleanse you and make you a new person and save a spot in the next life for you. And so if that's your prayer, would you just pray along with me quietly, under your breath, or, or maybe in your mind, in your heart. Um, just pray along. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I believe in you. I believe you're who you claim to be. I ask you to take over my life. To forgive me of my rebellion and sin. To change me from the inside out. To teach me how to follow. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer, you want to give your life to Christ. The very first step of following Jesus is the step of baptism. It's a way of saying goodbye to the old and hello to the new. And We'll be having a baptism in a few weeks, and so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to write me a note on your registration card today when you turn it in in a few minutes of the offering. Just that I prayed the prayer, Mike, or I asked Christ in my life, and I'll know exactly what you mean. We will send you a letter this week of some new steps you can take in your new relationship with Christ to st- help you start growing. We'll contact you. See how you're doing? We'll schedule a time where you can be baptized, start this new journey. Father, we come now as your church, and we want to be a church who hears from you, Lord. There's, there's nothing like hearing from your word. You know, it's just there's nothing like that. When you speak, we hear your voice, and it just empowers us. It gives us life. Like you said, that your words are spirit and they're life, and they they enliven us, they empower us, and so we want to hear your voice. We want to hang on your words, and, and so, Lord, we. Pray that you would speak, and we promise that if you will speak, that we will follow, enter into life with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.